I'm going to have to stop there because I need to sneeze. So uh, I'll be back with you in a second. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like the stats on how many times Mooney has sneezed on a podcast recording. Well, if someone sneezes on mute, do you say bless you? On mute, we think... don't hear it. No, oh, I think I you have to say bless, bless you on mute. I have sneezed. I just did. There we go. <laughs> I have sneezed. <laughs> Inform the men. <laughs> this is Blue Moon. It's the original fan-made Manchester City podcast. Coming up, we've got news and views from City's Week. It's your club, and this is your show. 12 points now separate Manchester City from their third Premier League title in a row. 11 if we're being picky and assuming that they'll finish with a better goal difference than Arsenal. And that's a pretty safe assumption to make at this stage. And the finishing line is now on the horizon. Six more points in hard-fought wins over Fulham and West Ham have sent the team back to the top of the table. And they still have a game in hand over the Gunners in second as well. Welcome to today's Blue Moon podcast. And if you thought City had it tough this week, it's nothing on what's to come. Because it's Sam Allardyce's leads up next. And there's nobody ahead of me in football terms. Not Pep, not Klopp, not Arteta. So nothing to be taken for granted there. Then it's Real Madrid at the Bernabeu and perhaps a score to settle after last season too. But if the last week has told us anything, it's that it doesn't have to be pretty to get the job done. Let's introduce the panel. I'm David Mooney and I'm joined by City fans Richard Burns. Hello there. And Chris Higginbottom. Hiya, oh, you're right. Not too bad, thanks. Not too bad. Um, so, a good week, I told uh, Richard. Um, difficult games, not necessarily the easiest of watches, but like I say, got the job done. Yeah, definitely. And I think in, in some ways it's, it's quite a helpful time to have had a couple of difficult games because I think the, the temptation... Um, not even the temptation, the, the way things have been spoken about after the win against Arsenal was obviously like everything was done, everything was wrapped up. I work with Arsenal fans who've been sort of disconsolate and have, have congratulated me. Um, and, and I know that feeling. I remember, you know, sort of that, that feeling when City have fallen behind in title races that they've then gone on to win. Um, I think it's like you always get difficult games that maybe you wouldn't expect to be particularly difficult um, in these final few games when you're trying to close it out. Yeah. And I think maybe at the point where City, it felt like maybe they were going to ride the crest of a wave sort of right to the end of the season and sweep all before them to win the treble. I think it's quite handy to have that reminder in a couple of games that you might have thought were not not easy, but uh, wouldn't prove to be overly difficult. Maybe it's just it's really good to have those games immediately after the Arsenal game and it shows sort of a few different strings to the bow. You can have the, the swashbuckling win against the other best team in the country and then actually you've got to grind it out and dig your heels in against Fulham and West Ham. I, I don't think that's a... Although it's uncomfortable for those 90 minutes, it's it's a good stage in the season to be um, to be showing they've got the lot, I think. Yeah, I was going to say, Chris, neither Fulham nor West Ham had many clear-cut chances. They both made it difficult for City. Um, but I guess it's like City are just in that stage of the season now where like whatever they do, they, they just get the job done, especially when they're in a title race. Yeah, definitely. I mean, teams know what to expect from City, don't they? Uh, it's that It's that age-old thing, though. If someone's really good, it doesn't matter if you know what they're going to do because... You can't necessarily stop them, um, and City know how to. You know they know how to um, cope with teams. They can, they can grind with the best of them, can't they? That's it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they can get down and dirty, and uh, 
you know, get through the gritty games. And I don't know, people were saying it was a tough watch, um, Fulham and, and West Ham. I, I quite enjoy that kind of thing. Uh, you can't have it all, you know, fluid and flowing and happy flowers. Um, you know, you've you got to have a bit of a, a bit of grit. And I think it stands us in good stead for uh, tougher tests coming up like Real Madrid as well. Um, to not just be to not have it all skipping our own along, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's because uh, there's going to be you know going to be stern tests before we win anything. So yeah, bring it. Yeah, I uh, I very nearly when you said you like that sort of thing, nearly called you a football pervert, and now I have done anyway. So guilty <laughs> as charged. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, uh, Richard, do you find it? it it's weird that. Um, there is an attitude difference between City fans and everybody else in that you'd look at everybody else when they've, when they see even the performances and the, and the results against uh, Fulham and West Ham, they go, well, that's what City do. It's like, it, they just win these games. Whereas for us as fans, we get a little frustrated watching it because it's not, they haven't scored in the first half and they haven't kind of, or, or in the case of Fulham, they, they are struggling to just get over the line because Fulham are, are, are putting a bit of pressure on it's it, there's this sort of disconnect between um, like what we feel and that history just tells us that City will just get it done anyway. Yeah, but I don't I, I don't think it's strange. I think that's sort of that's how it should be because it's it, that's just the emotional side of it, isn't it? When you when you're invested in something, it's like you are invested in something that's out of your control. So like that feeling of. It's not necessarily watching those games that you feel that City are going to blow it, or that you know the old, um, the old typical City is going to strike and they're going to sort of snatch, um, snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. I, I never sort of have that sense, but it's more the it's just the tension of it all, isn't it? In that first half against West Ham, where you can see like repeatedly trying the same thing, getting sort of squeezed to the left balls going into the box that are being easily cleared out. And you just, I think it's quite hard not to throw forward and think if it continues like this, you know, you start sort of extrapolating, like if, if this only finishes as a point, then the title race suddenly looks a bit tighter. I think that's um, that's just normal. But of course, other fans will see that sort of machine-like, just constant winning that City do at this time of the season. I think... Outside of the match day, I can rationalise that and say, yeah, I think City will win most of the games and they'll probably do enough to win the league from this point. And on Arsenal's form, they probably won't win all their games anyway. But come Sunday, no matter what City have done <laughs> on Saturday, I'll yeah. convince myself that Arsenal are going to go and batter Newcastle because actually Arsenal are a very, very good team. And I just think that's that's part of the emotional investment. And it, it, it sort of, it should be like that because that's where the relief comes from when you score. It's where that, um, you know, the tension lifts. It's, that's just all part of it, isn't it? Yeah. Well, let's, I mean, let's kind of get into that a little bit because uh, I want to talk about Erling Haaland. We can't not again. Um, <laughs> his first Premier League season, Chris, and he's broken the record for Premier League goals in a single season. Um, it's 35 goals from 56 shots on target that he's had in the Premier League. So 62.5% of his shots on target have gone in. To put it's that, disgusting, isn't it? Well, to put that into some context... <laughs> For a pervert like me, it's yeah. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. <laughs> to put that into some context, Sergio Aguero it was on 43.5% of his shots on target went in. Haaland is ridiculous. I think even a Bengal tiger is only successful on like one out of ten hunts. 
So, I mean, that's, <laughs> I a talk, that's a sort of, predator, <laughs> sort of predator we're talking about here. So a Bengal tiger, one in every 10 hunts, you say. Um, yeah. 35 goals and 56 shots. So it's that's like two in every three. So what animal is successful two in every three hunts? There mustn't be one, surely. Well, there is now, and it's that animal is Erling Haaland, <laughs> top yeah. of the uh, food chain, apex. apex. The apex predator, that is Erling Haaland. He is the apex yeah. predator, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Richard, he scored 2% of all of City's Premier League goals ever. Um, yeah. I mean, that's the first thing I think when you say that is there was a season when we only scored 10 home goals. So <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, but they scored 17 <laughs> away that season, I think. So it's like, you know. <laughs> Yeah, it's. I mean, it. it it's like it, it's almost at the point where just what do you say? Because he's just a phenomenal goal scorer. His his talent is extraordinary. His the, the gift that he has is the most valuable commodity in in football. Scoring goals is and always will be the most valuable thing that you can do on a football pitch, and he does it as like. As, as easily as, as I put trousers on in the morning, like, you know, get it right most of the time. Um, <laughs> he, it's like, he's just completely normalised. Like, to him, to watch him, choosing his shot selection, hitting the ball first time, you know, like most of his goals come with... Um, Never come offside. With one touch. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, it, that's it, true it just, as well, actually, Chris. Yeah, it's a really good point. I've never really thought of that, but as soon as you say it, it's like, yeah, how often do you ever really see that? His his timing, his movement, his perception of what's happening on the pitch is just. I think the, the, the words aren't enough, and it's one of those cases where like, like numbers really do just when you compare it to what other people do. <laughs> uh, do you want to? <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> <laughs> like the numbers just they are they're stupid aren't they like you sort of have to see it to believe that those numbers are real because otherwise it's you sort of in the why are the rovers like this is like make-believe type fairy tale stuff is just a, a hell of a thing to witness he's making it all look easy and he's only going to get better like his goal score is never going to go away but the rest of his game's going to improve is incredible yeah do you really struggle to put your trousers on one in three days no uh <laughs> One in three is probably a bit high. Oh, both legs have gone in left again. <laughs> How embarrassing. <laughs> uh, I'd like to move on from this yeah. conversation. <laughs> well, I mean, but this is the thing is that you can't put your trousers on and you think we're the problem here. I'm, I'm, I'm not, sure, not sure what to say. No, the, I've, it, there's enough on my record that suggests I'm the problem. Yeah. Um, but, you know, yeah. <laughs> maybe um, cut that bit. Uh, maybe not. We'll find out. Um, Chris, there was a nice guard of honour at the end for him as well, um, where it basically looked like his teammates were actually trying to do him a bit of mischief by whacking him over the head and back with their uh, with their arms and legs. I know they do that. I think that's like um, one of the they do that in training quite a bit, don't they? If somebody, I think it's if somebody loses like a, a rondo or you know fails a task or doesn't get yeah. the ball in the bin. Whatever they have to run the uh, just beat the, the shit out of him, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's it's a good way to show respect, but also maintain that level of uh, camaraderie and like piss take rather than just be like, oh my god, Erling amazing. Yeah, I mean, it's like a nice way of doing it, and he is amazing. I just, you know, it's just a shame he doesn't suit our style, and we don't know how to get the best <laughs> out of it. I was guilty of of sort of kind of thinking along those lines when it was being proffered at the start of the season that 
you know, he I think he had a a drought of about I don't know, a game and a half or something. And like twenty minutes or something, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, Well, I think we might be a better football team if we had Harry Kane instead and yeah, just oh, what an idiot. Yeah, well, I didn't want to say it myself. Um, uh, the uh, the other thing, I mean, Chris, that, that moment against West Ham where, like the Fulham goal penalty, it's nice to have somebody who can score a penalty for once. Um, but mm. the, the moment against West Ham when Grealish plays him through and... Uh, like he's uh, he's one on one with Fabianski. Fabianski's coming out to 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 kind of meet him, and he just chip, he just dinks it over him. Um, sort of goal you score against a five year old, don't it? Yeah, but I, I'm just I, I'm just struck by the sense of calm that seems to come over the Etihad when he's in that position these days. You, you think of like like, I, and I don't mean to disrespect previous players, but you think of players like Jesus and Sterling, who uh, City have had recently, who were who were good goal scorers, and you put them in that position, and they would score a lot of goals. Th- there's a sense of calm with Haaland that that his record just brings with it, isn't there? Hundred percent, and like we were talking about before with the offsides, like he doesn't. Sterling and Jesus were uh, prime examples of that. Like you know, not constantly, but very often offside. Haaland, pretty much. I don't. I can't recall him being offside. Um, And when he gets in that position, if it was Sterling, your heart's in your mouth because you genuinely don't know if it's going in. And uh, Jesus, the same. Like you, you. it's a great chance. Should score. Oh, yes, it's gone in relief. And with Haaland, just this Zen-like expectancy. And I don't know. That's why I'm, I think that's why I'm finding these trickier games so easy to um, just cope handle. with, manage. Yeah, yeah. I'm just. I just have this like, you know, it's it's like Arsenal are the Invincibles. We're like the Inevitables. It's just like I just expect it to happen, and it just delivers every time. It's just. The, the way he does it as well, it's so casual. It's like, it's just shelling peas for him, isn't it? It's just ridiculous. Like I say, that chip, and he's, no, he's not a bad keeper, Fabianski. His position looked good. He came out. He tried to spread himself. Harlem's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know I know what you're going to do. I'm, I'm sorry, I've already done it. You, you, I've scored. Sorry. <laughs> it's just done. It's just a done deal. It's like one of the things that's remarkable as well is it's not like he's picking out like the corner of the net every time or, you know, like doing it on pure power it's like just his placement to it's just like always and that's an obvious thing to say about somebody who scored 51 goals but he always just finds the right part of the net and it's like sometimes really hard to see what was so good about it but then the natural ability to constantly just know and be able to deliver on exactly the right type of shot in in any situation I think is uh, it's also like quite an easy thing to miss, but I just don't think he's like the ball isn't always hitting parts of the net where you think, oh, like the keeper never ever could have got that, but they just never ever can. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Can Do you I, know what I mean? Can I also it's like offer a fair complaint? The keeper's like compliant with that as well. It's like, oh, I'm just going to fling myself over while you score past me because that's <laughs> what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, can I just offer a, a thought as well on um, him and his future? Because watching him around the place, Richard, um, all the talk about release clauses and he'll want to play for Real Madrid one day. Um, 
he is enjoying the fuck out of this at the moment, isn't he? And you can you can see it, and you can like I I I suspect, and like I, I might be wrong about this, and it, it's nothing but a gut feeling. But I suspect City have done that thing again, where they've got a great player and they've got their claws into him, and he could end up here for a long time. Well, according to recent reports, they've got the claws out of him, haven't they? Which is. Um... <laughs> It's a very Which good pun. Handy. It's a very good pun. I don't like puns normally, but that's Thank a great pun. Retractable claws, like a Bengal tiger. <laughs> I like to think I've redeemed the, the whole trousers point there. Um, <laughs> a- anyway, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm glad that you've asked me this because it gives me a chance to uh, say something that I think I've probably said sort of every, um, every podcast I've been on this season, that he, like along with that happiness, I think one of the things that, is amazing about him and is really important is how well he carries his his status and how well he carries his stardom because Humble and humility yeah yeah and but but also that enjoyment of it so after the goal yesterday when the whole stadium was shouting Harland, Harland, and he does that thing that it's almost like his trademark now, where he spins his hand at the fans and like you know to try and whip up the atmosphere. It's like you've already got sixty thousand people chanting your name at you, but he does it. Yeah, what well, more do you want, mate? Come on, <laughs> but, but like in a way, he he whips that up in a way that doesn't come across as arrogant. And like he's doing that for the fans' enjoyment, almost rather than his own. And but it's it's also like this is my arena, and like he's in no doubt as to his talent. But he wears it so lightly; like he never looks like he's under pressure. He never looks, and that's obviously part of his talent. But like he goes onto a pitch, and he doesn't have to be the guy who runs down every pass to impress the fans because he knows the fans are, are there to see him or, or anything like he just does his job so easily and i mean obviously not easily like it's a it's an enormous amount of hard work that he puts into to be at this standard but he's so comfortable being the star in that space and just continuing to do what he does that makes him the star and and like i say i just think he i just think he wears that stardom um, incredibly lightly, almost like it, like it liberates him. And yeah, that clearly as well is facilitated by his environment. He's obviously happy. Players don't tend to do the Poznan in the with the supporters, or like you see how he relates to the players on the pitch, or how he celebrates other players' goals. Like he's, it, you, you don't have to be um, a, a great sort of analyzer of body language to see that that is that is a happy man. And does it mean that he'll never go to Madrid? No, but maybe he'll have to sort of, you know, he, he might see that his goal record is such that he could stay long enough to be the Premier League all-time top scorer and then swan off to Spain and still have a decent career there. You know, he can't um, he can't do the world tour too young in his career or he'll have sort of nowhere to land by the time he's 28. So he'll be stuck at one club anyway. So he might as well stick around with City for a while, hasn't he? And he, he looks like he wants to. Yeah, it's a good argument to make that. Um, just to finish on Haaland, Chris, uh, 31 appearances. How many times do you think he's been caught offside? <laughs> um, have you got the stat there? Yeah, I've got it here. I'm going to say two. Richard? Seven. It is seven. Thanks. Well, there's work to be done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> good guess, though. Yeah, uh, I mean, Richard could have just Googled it as well. So um, I, I didn't. 
Well, we never, we'll never know that. Um, while we're on goals as well, uh, it's now a thousand goals under Guardiola uh, for City. Um, Chris, the first one was by Aguero against the David Moyes side. Last one by Phil Foden against the David Moyes side. Nice to have that little bit, that little bit of symmetry. Um, yeah, yeah. Two hundred and three goals more than anyone else in that period. City have scored, um, and I also dug this one out as well. Four point seven percent of the one thousand have come against Watford. There you go. Yeah. Cheers, Watford. <laughs> <laughs> it's obscene, isn't it? It's ridiculous. I, I, we're just very, very um, fortunate to to be in this position. It's uh, it's a pretty amazing standard of football. Clearly, the best manager in the world. Um, all we've got to do now is prove we're the best team. So, yeah, we're at the we're at the pointy end, aren't we? Let's have it. Ad-free episodes are available on Patreon. Sign up at patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. Just on the goals front as well, Richard, um, can't not mention Julian Alvarez. Uh, A bit of a quiet game against West Ham, but uh, absolutely crucial to the win at Fulham. Um, especially with with the second goal, um, I, I uh, honestly, when he when he got that ball out of his feet, I was like, oh, don't hit it. What a ridiculous shot to take on at this point. Don't do that now. So I um, have the entirely sort of, entirely opposite? Probably not. I have a different experience in that I wasn't able to watch the game live, unfortunately. Um, And so I was reliant on text updates. And so, you know, various sort of WhatsApp groups, messages about what a great goal it was. And yet still, when I watched it back later, it was better than I'd anticipated. Um, but obviously you sort of know from context, like, oh, he gets the ball here. This is probably the the goal. And it's it's so good. Like, it's it's a perfectly struck ball. It's the, the confidence to try it and think, you know, acknowledge that that's the best option in that, in that time. And just to hit it so well. What a talented player. Sweet, and... Yeah, and it's so good to have a player who, obviously we've got a few players capable of, of belting them in from long range, but like it's a, an attacking player who scores a goal very different to the kind of goal that you'd expect Haaland to score. Like Haaland can score sort of any type of goal, but you don't see him Doesn't really do it out the box, does he? Yeah. So that's a, a really helpful thing to have. It's a bit like a Torre finish, the way he, he's just kind of passed it with venom into like the top corner from from distance in a sort of effortless manner, but it's just so powerful and accurate and made it look easy. And that little that little drag back, it the three defenders that were around him, it just like buffeted them away like they've been affected by a magnet. You know, when you watch it back, it's just like <laughs> he just faints and they all go Whoa, and just <laughs> creates this exclusion zone that he can just carve out from. It's just absolutely exquisite. Absolutely yeah. loved it. Yeah, and if he um, doesn't score that, we don't win the game. It's just like, yeah, just absolutely, great absolutely. to have that amongst the team. Yeah, the the two of them, Chris, as well. Um, I, it didn't work so well on uh, on Wednesday night against West Ham, but uh, he tends to, well, he seems to tend to flourish with Haaland. Uh, Twenty goals between them when they have started together, and it's very easy to look at Haaland's goal scoring record and go, well, yeah, surely Haaland's doing most of the heavy lifting there. Um, but it's not. It's like I think Haaland's got eleven of them, so it's like it's almost a fifty fifty split there. Yeah, the work rate is phenomenal. But you got every aspect of this team is is bob on. It's ridiculous. The amount of work Alvarez does, Alvarez, 
Um, <laughs> it just, I wondered when you pull out. Just, you can't. You can never help yourself from doing that every time I you mention his I've name. Like, it's like some sort of football Tourette's. I, like, I can't help it. But um, he, he just, he's, he's a scurrier, isn't he? He's, uh, he's a little terrier. He's, he's absolutely great. I'd love him. Yeah. Um, I want to finish the first part, Richard, by talking about Jack Grealish, uh, because he's become very important to City and, and the style of play. Um, he offers uh, an incredible amount of control, but also he he knows now when to counter, and nothing nothing shows that more, I guess, than the ball he played through for Haaland for the, the goal against West Ham. Yeah, his, um, his improvement in form is absolutely remarkable. And there's like, there's such a a clear line in the sand as well of so of everything that he's done for City pre-World Cup and the player that he's come back as post-World Cup and like it's almost too easy a line because obviously what we're seeing now is the result of all the work that he's done in his time at City and I've always thought that he's he's done quite well for City and like the the foundation that this current performance is built on that control that um that ability to sort of bring the ball forward without without losing it like you almost never see him tackle do you he's he's exceptional at holding onto the ball like all of those things have always been there but what he wasn't showing that he shows now is that responsibility um and desire well desire is probably around confidence the confidence to take chances um like he still does that thing of getting to the byline, cutting it back to Bernardo or um, you know whoever's come to join him. But now that's mixed in with sometimes he'll run at his man, sometimes he'll get into the box himself, sometimes he'll shoot, and it adds a, an extra almost like nuisance factor to City's attack. And I think he's is quite unique in in the way that he does that, and quite a unique blend of um, of skills. And he's he's pretty much undroppable at the moment, isn't he? Like he's yeah. like this probably. I'll probably say that when did he last not start a game? And you'll tell me it was two weeks ago. But it feels like he started every game for about three months, and I'm sure that's not quite true. But he's just he's he's just there, and you can you can bank on getting like a a, a really good level of performance out of him. It's very rare that he doesn't turn up and show that he deserves to start the game. And I'm so happy for him because he's. He just comes across as so a really happy. nice lad as well. Yeah, so, so happy guys, Jack Grealish. <laughs> wow. Jack Grealish guys, wow. wow. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's become a clutch player, and you can tell, can't you? That's that's the thing. I mean, Chris, he, he likes getting involved in a fracar as well, doesn't he? Fracars is fracars. Fracai. Yeah, fracai. I don't know what the plural of fracar is. But yeah, he gets involved in him. He's loving being the pantomime villain, isn't he? Well, he gets fouled so often that um, it must. Be, I mean, he does well to to rein himself in. Really, quite a lot of the time he'll he'll get involved, and you can see that he's fully in control, and he's kind of playing, like you say, he's playing a part. He is being that pantomime villain, just to wind the opposition up or make them, um, you know, knock them off their out of their stride. Um, and he maintains his kind of his his cool um, whilst in the middle of these. Frakai, uh, <laughs> but he, he's he's such a reliable outlet, isn't he? You know that when he gets the ball, he's going to drive either to the heart of the defence or take take it wide, depending on what we need at the time and where the rest of the team are. If he needs to draw a foul, he's, there's nobody better at, at that at the moment. 
Um, I think a lot of the fouls that he draws are avoidable if he wants to avoid them in that he just waits to be fouled, doesn't he? he just, yeah. And and we, we regroup, we you know, we uh, reposition, we, we, we take stock and, and move on. And if he doesn't want to be fouled, he, he just carries on skipping up the pitch. Obviously, that's not all the time. Sometimes you just get you just get cropped, don't you? And, and there's yeah. nothing you can do about it. But he's yeah, just hugely reliable. Now he's um, synced into the system, which obviously takes time. I wish we'd stop. You know, I believe the term is dunking on people for for not fitting in straight away and being you know 100% top of the game after a matter of weeks. All he needs now, really, Grealish, is goals because. I think he'd probably be the first to admit. I hope he would be anyway, because in my opinion, he, he gets into positions where he should be scoring more goals than he does. Like yeah. a couple of where he's he's got side footers, he opens up the goal. You know, you you, you know what his body shape's telling you. He's trying to put it in the far corner, and sometimes he, he's just clipping it and it's going straight down the middle, and he's head in his hands going, oh, "I've done that again." So yeah, there's a few against yeah. Fulham, wasn't there? I mean, the the one Leno uh, tipped one onto the. Crossbar and that was good a good save, save. That, yeah. But other than that, there was a couple where he got into those positions again and uh, and didn't quite mm. finish it off. And there was one so. last night as well. Yeah. Right. Well, but, yeah, um, harsh, harsh criticism. Yeah. Well, uh, right. So let's uh, have a look at uh, something else because tickets have been a hot topic around City this week. Be it the criteria or lack of it for the Real Madrid home game, the purchase and refunding of hundreds of tickets for the Brentford away game, and the prices of season tickets announced last Friday. I've been speaking to Nick from the Man City Fans Food Bank Support Group about the rise in prices to get his reaction. Same as it was last year, um, disappointment. Um, although I will say it added with a bit more anger than before, given the climate given the cost of living crisis is continuing to roll on people are we've we said this last year that people are not doing well in this country i think that's fair to say it's not controversial to say so it's just it's it feels unnecessary and a bit cruel yeah i mean there's there's a lot of people who uh will listen to this and say uh well it's the best football that that city have ever been playing tickets are are, are actually quite cheap for that um what what do you say to those people mm. I mean, obviously, it's the best football ever. I mean, I, I, can't, I can't believe what we're seeing on the pitch, certainly. And, you know, we've got the best manager in the world. He's given me, I can't speak for everyone, but he's given me some of the best memories that I'll ever have to do with football. Um, but at the end of the day, how, how does that translate to ticket prices? You, you know, should we should we do what Tottenham did and every time we play poorly, ask for a refund or get a refund from the club? You know, it, it doesn't work like that. You know, the, the club regularly praises our support, you know, and we say how incredible City fans are because we've maintained this core support no no matter how rubbish the team was or where we end up over the years, you know, th- this core will be in no matter if Pep leaves tomorrow and we get relegated. The the argument just continually, continually, like it was last year and, you know, it ends up being about whether it's worth it or not. And it, and it just turns it into what we've always said that we hate, you know, being treated like customers. There was so much uproar about the Super League announcement uh, the other two, two, three years ago now, because you know, once again, our support was took for granted as as we were customers or oh God was were we called legacy fans? Yeah. By uh, <laughs> sorry, so you know, we don't have to accept the argument on their terms. Yeah. So I mean, uh, uh, no argument then that like you get what you pay for. If you think of it, think of it as a as a premium product that you get, and you 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 have to pay premium prices, do you? Well, that's. <laughs> I don't know if you do. You know, I, I really don't know if you do. I mean, like I said, you, you can look at it 
I think they've done this for the past couple of years now by saying, well, if you look at our competitors in the league, we are a, uh, you know, we, we, we offer a competitive rate, a competitive price. But look, you and I both know that we're not going to go and support Newcastle tomorrow if it turns out that they've got a 10 times cheaper season ticket and they relocated to Gorton or something. You know, it's not going to happen. So it's, yeah. a, it's, it's, a it's City think, or not, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's not. So it's a pointless argument for a supporter to use. That that's an argument that only the business heads at the club can make. You know, when when once again being treated as customers, not as an intrinsic part of what makes Manchester City Football Club, Manchester City Football Club. You know, like yeah, it, it is business, but it's a business like no other in the world because we know the value that we bring to as supporters. You know, and I think it's fair to say supporters across the board as well, not not just at City, across the country. Supporters are sick of the loyalty being weighed up, divvied up, calculated, you know, t- to see how much money can be extracted from it, you know, until, until we get breaking point. Yeah. Um, there's, there's also the argument that... Um, I mean, the, the tickets have gone up, what, about 30, 35, 40 pounds per, per ticket around the ground. Um, that works out about two to three pounds a game. Isn't, isn't that an affordable rise? Is that not <laughs> something people can absorb? I mean, oh, that, you know, I, I hate this one, David. Ever, it's the, that's the most repeated one that you see on, you know, social media or right, things like that is, um, yeah, two, two to three pound a game. Like, what, what's the, it's, it's less than a pint. Um, it's 12 out of the last 14 seasons that we've seen these small increases. Where do you draw the line? You know, I've seen a programme going around, um, I think it's from 2007, eight, showing adult tickets where I sit now, they were £350. Um, in the 15 years since, they've, they've now more than doubled to 710 quid. And I'm in one of the cheapest parts of the ground. You know, have people's wages doubled in 15 years? No, no, they've not. Nobody's have, you know, especially with where we are being, you know, one of the more working class or deprived parts of the country, you know, People are tightening the belts everywhere, and to be honest, I've, I've already heard of a few people that I know say that this has tipped them over the edge, and they're not able to justify renewing. And and what what also upsets me is that it, it tends to be other blues making that specific argument, you know, saying that they're affordable. And I, honestly, I just want them to think about the fellow supporters for for who it isn't so affordable, you know, show a, a bit of a bit of empathy and togetherness because you know. I mean, look, we, we also moan a lot about how good atmospheres, how, how well, how not good atmospheres are at the Etihad these days. You know, they're rarer than ever. And think about the hardcore support we've lost in that last decade because they couldn't afford it anymore and how that's impacted I mean, there's a reason our away support is known as one of the best in the league and that £30 away cap is a massive factor. Yeah. Um, the club has also said uh, recently that operating costs have gone up. Um, I, I, is that not normal for businesses to just pass on the operating costs to the customers? I, well, well, again, yeah, customers, back to that. But, you know, <laughs> n- not all businesses do. You know, it, it's, it's 100% a choice to pass these costs on. You know, you pass on those costs so, so, you, so you still maintain the same profit margin as before. Um, and, and that might be fine if everything was going great for supporters off the field. But, you know, we, we know it's not. We're paying more for food, energy, uh, keeping the roof over your heads. Um, so for, for, for our football club to hit us with yet another increased cost just to pass on a profit loss to us, like I said before, seems a bit cruel in this climate. And I, I can't stress enough just how 
just how much of a fanfare City made about, was it last year's revenue, that th- this record revenue of 600, 613 million, it was, I think, with profits of £42 million. Pounds. The, the ticket increases are a minuscule, tiny, tiny drop in the ocean compared to that. Like we we don't need to impose ticket rise on supporters. We've passed that point in our, in our history at this, but, you know, we've never needed it less and According to the club's own figures, City have got. I, I did a bit of research here to make sure I was right. Right, um, we have sponsorship agreements with forty-seven different brands this season, and the top five of those account for seventy-five percent of our total sponsorship income. The few hundred thousand quid that are going to be gained from this increase could be covered with another sponsorship deal. Like they're obviously not that particular about handing them out. There's nearly fifty of them, are they? Is there? Would you say there's an argument though in that that? Um... When it comes to things like financial fair play and UEFA's looking at, at City's books and currently the Premier League charges looking at City's books, uh, ticket revenue is it's, it's irrefutable, isn't it? It is there. It's either there or it's not. Whereas you look at sponsorship deals and they have to be compared against the market, and th- th- there's uh, there's all these there's all the talk about whether they they are true market value. Ultimately, ticket revenue it is there. That is it. It's bang. You can't dispute that. Yeah, well, it is. I mean, well. It wasn't too long ago in our history that was it Peter Swales jigging, messing about with the uh, attendance numbers to a, uh, you know, I, look, I, you can say that about, you can say that about anything. I think with us, our um, we're under so much scrutiny at the moment. We've got probably the best financial experts in the world. Is isn't it delight that deal with our finances? Look, I, I really do not think that we're under any. I don't think the club see it as that. I don't think the club see it as oh, our match day revenue is one hundred percent the gold standard and it's fine we can't be looked at i think um it is once again it is a minuscule proportion of our revenue um i even seen and with like i say for such a massive club that brings in hundreds and hundreds of millions of pounds in sponsorship uh, I, I hate to do the typical looking at german football but uh, i saw today that fortuna dusseldorf i think they're in like the second division or something in the bundesliga um They've done a new sponsorship deal that will specifically allow fans to attend for a, an amount of three matches that season. They, I'm pretty sure Fortuna Dusseldorf need that money more than we do. It's, um, yeah, it, it, it's not relevant. I do not think it's, it's a few million quid in the scheme of a six hundred million pound business. Yeah. Uh, just finally, Nick, because uh, there'll be people listening to this as well um, that uh, basically say that if people are struggling, if they can't afford their gas or electric or food bills, um, they probably shouldn't have a season ticket. Is that uh, what, what? What do you make of that argument? I mean, well, yeah, of course, but that's people do do that. People do give up that. I, I seen somebody say uh, earlier that you know football has always been the most important of the least important things in our lives and. We we all know. I've, I've I know from my experiences. I'm sure you have too. That you know we've we've given up something in our day to day lives to I don't know to afford to go to I don't know the next round of a Carabao Cup game or you know so we can do an away match with our mates or you know another another flipping Wembley trip. You know it's in the hope to win a trophy. You know football is the last thing that we sacrifice before our essentials. You know, we, it, it's it's not. It's not unfair to say, again, not contrary to say, you know, things have not been going well in this country for a while. You know, people's pay packets stretch less than ever. Match tickets are more unaffordable than ever in, in this climate. Energy costs, mortgages, rents. You know, we've, we've got bloody, um, we've got Victorian diseases coming back, like rickets and malnutrition. You know, we, we through our work at the food bank, we hear a lot about that. You know, it's, 
But, but funnily enough, t- average attendances in the Premier League are higher than ever. 40k attendances are averaging. It's because football is such a huge and measurable part of our lives. You know, we, we want to go and see the team we've grown up with, fell in love with, you know, hated at times. <laughs> we, we, we go to, you know, see the matchday family that we've been going with for 30, 40 odd years, experiencing the good and bad of it as a collective, you know. But being a City fan, look, it's a privilege. And I just generally believe that instead of just trying to keep ticket prices stable, I think we should be actively fighting to make them as, as affordable for as many Blues as possible to see us play. If I have kids, look, I don't know if I'll be able to take them to games the, the way the way it's going to be, like the way that my dad did, got me and my brother season tickets. I don't know if they're going to do that. Look, uh, as it stands, you know, we're heading closer to a future where I think the majority of our core support can't afford to go to games. Hospitality tickets are the club's main priority and, and losing that connection to City and Let's be honest, it's everything that we said over the last 30 years that we've hated United for, it's coming to us. And I think it's coming in £3 a match increments. Yeah. Um, Just finally then, Nick, um, if you could have the opportunity to speak to Ferran Soriano, um, the chief exec, what, what would you say? I'm just what look. First of all, I'm I'm just one supporter, you know. But what I've sp- spoken to and heard from different fan groups and individuals who feel exactly the same, you know, from the 1894 group City Matters podcast like this one and others, a lot of writers. But first, I think there's a really strong sense of disappointment and a bit of anger across the board. Not least when you're adding these issues about the Champions League and you know new new cup scheme changes and the criteria. That look, what price do you put on loyalty, and how far will you go with it? Because it is not, I, I, I don't know where the end goal is. I don't know where the end goal is. Uh, what we know City as, as a club, but as a community club, what we've, what I've grown up with, what you've grown up with. If we continue to go down this route, you're going to change it forever. You can't come back from that. Get involved with the debate on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. That was Nick from the Man City Fans Food Bank Support Group discussing his issues with the rise in season ticket prices. Um, now, once again, we asked City about the rises, um, and I'm going to run you through the questions that we asked them just so you can uh, you can hear what we put to them. Uh, so, uh, specifically, we asked, uh, how are the season ticket price rises justifiable when, you, when the annual report in 2022 told fans that the club generated record revenues of £613 million and record profits of £41.7 million, while the country is also experiencing a cost-of-living crisis and huge increases in energy bills and that's also in the context of steady rises to season ticket prices over the last 10 to 15 years we also asked in total how many of the lowest price tickets are available and how accessible will they be for people wanting to switch during the renewal window what will the club say to fans who want to relocate to cheaper areas and are not able to um, then we asked, why does it matter what other clubs are charging for their tickets as a comparison to City's ticket prices? It doesn't matter to fans whether United or Chelsea or Liverpool or Tottenham or Arsenal have more expensive tickets. The choice for supporters is whether to renew their season ticket or, or buy a season ticket or not, not whether they get a season ticket at City or another club. And finally, we also asked, has the club sought feedback from fans on season ticket rises with each of the rises in the majority of the last 10 years? Now, we have had a response. The club have decided that they're not going to put anybody forward for interview, and they've also declined to answer those questions. Um, with that in mind, uh, Richard, what are your thoughts on all of that? I just, I mean, like it's it's really disappointing and really frustrating. I think um, City not standing people up for interview is 
um, is as predictable as it is disappointing. Um, and I think there's probably quite obvious reasons for that. And, and the first one is primarily um, the point that we make every year and that we, we all know at the point of purchasing a ticket. Football is an emotional purchase. You buy it because it's, you know, I'm sure we would all profess to love City. It's um, whether you always enjoy it or not, whether you always like them or not, this is something like a fundamental part of our lives that we we don't want to give up and the club know that. So they can put they can put ticket prices up. Um, just to say, I thought um, Nick in that interview, I thought was absolutely fantastic and, and to be honest even without our additional comments it could almost be the like the, the closing argument I thought he was um he was brilliant um I think I have I guess some fundamental points that I always come back to and it's not I understand a business putting prices up because it's a business and it wants to make money where the where the problem is and where the juxtaposition is is that football clubs not just city football clubs don't package themselves as a business football clubs package themselves as sort of the heart of the community and we hear all season and you know as part of the marketing we hear it from pep when he's not happy with the atmosphere or things are going against city you hear how much you needed how important you are how they can't do it without you and yet that isn't actually what is represented at the point of purchase it's not what's represented when you get your season ticket price increase and it's it's a dishonesty isn't it is is essentially what it is it's it's packaging your own emotions and selling them back to you at a constantly higher price if you just go off the quality of the product I'll never argue that my ticket is too expensive for the the quality that I get because I sit in one of the cheaper parts of the stadium. But I think if you're going to sell yourself as the heart of the community and you're going to try to portray to your supporters that you love them back or that this is some kind of reciprocated relationship and not just a transactional one, then you don't, in a cost of living crisis, put up ticket prices by a higher margin than you've put them up at any point in at least the last decade. And it, it just, it stinks, doesn't it? it? And like the worst part of it, and I, and I, I really do think it's the worst part because city will always do what they do and businesses will do what they do because they are a business. But the worst part of it is that you will constantly have supporters who will argue for the club and every fan who does that, I, in my, in my opinion, argues from the wrong side because you don't have a responsibility to the club at the point that they treat you as a consumer you are entitled to treat them as a corporation because that's the relationship that they're setting and the second they treat you as a co- the second you accept that then you are a customer so why would you not side with other customers in, in whose interest is it for you to have less money even if it's two pound a month like why would you want to give more money to a corporation? Like, why would you it's not fight weird, on the side it? of... It's like... Yeah, it's, it's really, really odd. You don't have to thank the club for what they give you because, don't get me wrong, right? I, I believe there are players who love the club. I believe Pep loves the club. But you're not paying for that. They're not the people who are setting the prices. They'll do quite well if we don't give our extra £2 a month. For me, it's an extra 30 quid a season. I could... I could do with that extra 30 quid a year because my wage isn't going up proportionately in, in a cost of living crisis. Like, and yet 
I go back to the point at the start, it's an emotional purchase. Am I going to give up my season ticket? I'm not, am I? So I'm I'm part of the problem too. And we all buy into it. And But we could all fight against it if we wanted to. Yeah. But there's too many people who sort of thank the club for the right that we have to go and pay them to provide this product. It's a it's a very, very strange um it's a very strange relationship and it's one that the club can take advantage of. And I've no doubt that they'll do it again next year because history history tells us that they repeatedly will do. They'll they'll take the piss as much as they can and we'll buy into it. So I said fair play to anybody who doesn't um yeah. That's some thoughts. <laughs> yeah, Chris, I, I don't. I, I'm not going to sit here and how ask do I follow? You. How do I follow Nick and Richard? Though, <laughs> <laughs> well, best of luck. I, I'm not. I'm not going to sit here and ask you for your um, personal circumstances. But and I hope my hope you don't mind me saying this. But I, I know in very much in the same way that Richard is. Uh, you've got a young child, and you have a family, and you like you have other costs outside of football. Um, what? How? How does it feel when you see City do uh, stick their prices up again? I mean, I, I can only see on my season ticket back to the twenty thirteen fourteen season, um, so I can't verify this any further back than that. Uh, but based on that, it's at least seven price rises in ten years. Two freezes. One was as we left the behind closed doors season, so it was actually a freeze on the season before. Um, and one when City finished fourth under Manuel Pellegrini and just about limped into the Champions League. Other than that, the prices have gone up every year. As, as someone like who has commitments of, of having to kind of manage their money elsewhere with you know family life, cost of living, energy bills, that sort of thing, like how how do you feel when you see another price rise on your ticket? I'll be honest, it's pretty bleak. It's, it stresses me out, man. I've got like a, a knot in my stomach thinking about it. There's already been conversations in our household um, to the effect that, you know, do you really think you can justify paying this much money to go and watch City? Um, you know, there's work to be done on the house. You know, we've got a baby, we've got a two-year-old boy. It's like, I... I it's a real, it's a real strain, um, and it does. The, the the annoying thing is, we know they don't need to put it up. Oh, well, it's pro- only a little of, bit. Yeah, profits of forty one point seven million um, last yeah, year. Yeah, it's ridiculous. If it's only a little bit, then don't do it because that works both ways. If, it, if if they only put it up a little bit, so it doesn't really make much difference. Well, don't do it then. We know you don't need to do it. You could take a stand. You could lead by example. You could do the opposite of taking an immoral stand and basically taxing our addiction uh, in a time of like national crisis. But I'm not surprised nobody wants to put their head above the parapet because you know what you're doing is not on. It's not on. It's bang out of order. And these people who say, oh, but it's the best, it's the best football you've ever seen. Surely that give over. I mean, you know, Again, that works both ways. Where's my refund for Alan Ball season? Where's all our <laughs> cash back for when we were shit? Don't give me that. We, we don't ask for that. We're not Tottenham. We don't, you know what I mean? We, we accept when we're shit, but we shouldn't have to accept paying more money when it's not necessary to charge it. It's not a normal business. It's not. We're not going to richer sounds and choosing a, a dead expensive uh, set of speakers. This is a football club where, like you say, you ask things of the fans um, to to contribute to the team over and above cash. We put our heart and souls into the club as supporters. You know, you're invested emotionally. You shouldn't be asking us to invest more financially. It's absolutely not acceptable. I don't know if I'm going to be able to renew. 
I'm looking at options to like you know how well, many I was, games I can. Yeah, I was I was going to ask: Is there a point at which either of you give up? Your yeah, ticket? we're at that point. I don't know if I'm going to be able to do it. If I am going to do it, it's going to have to be on some sort of compromised basis where I say, "Well, I will definitely put you know X amount of games up for a ticket exchange," because I I'm at that stage now where I just can't I can't I can't justify. The unjustifiable, which is what City are trying to do. Yeah, Richard, for you, is there a, is there a point where you where you'd have to consider I, it? I um I honestly try not to think about that because realistically there is. So you touched on it, um, like incredibly similar to Chris doing work on the house. Um, have a, a two year old son, and like I think a, a point that is. Uh, I think quite important to mention here as well is like people in general, it's not just financially, right? People are increasingly, I think, increasingly time poor. So I know that like in in my life, I work five days a week and the rest of my time is, and but no, the the rest of my time, the the focus is my family. Yeah, I have a, a wife, a young son who I wanna spend as much time with as possible. And I also think it's okay within that, that you have your own, your own hobbies and mine is city and always has been. So city now play more games than they've ever played because they're always at the business end of, of every competition barring, you know, okay, relatively early exit in the Carabao this year, but you get to May and there are almost more games than there are at any other point in the season because they're fighting for everything. So it's not just my money, right? There's, this then City then will then want my money for the Champions League games and the FA Cup games and the petrol to Wembley and like all of that stuff that goes with it. It's not just your season ticket price, it's your time and then the increased money that comes with that additional time. So it's just like it constantly feeds itself. And so one of my compromises was that this season I um, I dipped out of the Champions League and the Carabao Cup schemes for the first time. Um, I stayed Carabao. on the FA Cup scheme. <laughs> I know I, I got my priorities wrong um and like that's my first compromise and you know I used to I used to go to a lot of away games but now I don't do that because that's the right thing because of finances and my time is dedicated elsewhere like that a lot of people are like that and like we're just like three people having a moan about this but there is, I think there's definitely been a noticeable change in tone this time that even some people who have been on the side of the club with previous increases have, have talked about this one very differently because of the time that it's come out of people's circumstances. And I just think there definitely comes a tipping point where you will lose people. And at the moment, you know, increases have been fairly gradual. So that point has been harder to see. But yeah, I took your question was a very simple one and I've given a long answer again but there is there is a cut-off point and I guess I would I, I still have to weigh it up season on season but like it's not just myself that I have to justify that spending to like it's it's my time and it's my money with my family yeah. and like I, I joked recently you know if you sort of doing honest football chants the the current chant of the day the I'll follow you everywhere one like for me it's I'll follow you as far as my family circumstances allow and quite often I'll give my midweek tickets to my mum but it just doesn't scan as well as I'll follow you everywhere. It doesn't quite fit <laughs> doesn't quite well fit Fleetwood Mac yeah but well, like, what, 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 what will he do yeah <laughs> 
Right, <laughs> write, write, write an easier song to, to make that scanter. Come on. Just for me. But like that's already the situation I'm in, that I already have to make decisions. It's just that I can still keep a season ticket whilst I do that. But eventually that balance tips you the way and it, it won't be worth it. And yeah, I think um I think City are probably in danger of um of getting a bit closer to that line than maybe they've anticipated. The uh, the other problem I uh, I guess maybe is that it doesn't really matter if you give up and Chris give ups and and I give up if uh, if other people come in and, and buy them instead. But if yeah, I'm not. I don't know that City's fan base is yet at the point where they could afford thousands of people to do that. But um, we'll see. Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. Um, time to look ahead to the games with Leeds and Real Madrid. First up, let's find out what the hell is going on at Ellen Road. I've been speaking to the Athletics Leeds correspondent, Phil Hay, to find out. How best to sum this up? Um, Manchester City came to Ellen Road on December the 28th, so just before the turn of the year. Jesse Marsh was still head coach at that point. Um, since then, and in the space of, I think it's 13, 14 games, um when Allardyce walks out with Leeds at the Etihad on Saturday, it'll have been four different coaches over the space of, yeah, about 14 games. And it has just turned into a complete meltdown this season. I mean, this week alone, Gracia has gone after the defeat to Bournemouth um, last Sunday. I think there was a real feeling of inevitability about that because of the because of the form, because of the results, because of the way they played at Dean Court and because of the, I guess, outright panic at boardroom level that they were going down and, and it was hard to disagree with that. But the club's director of football, Victor Orta, um, has also departed by mutual consent, but essentially him and the board were on completely different pages about where to go from here. He was actually still very much fighting Gracia's corner. Uh, the board wanted a change and the board have gone for, for Sam Allardyce for the last four matches. Um, Allardyce is known to the chief executive, Leeds Angus Kinnear. They, were, um, they both worked for West Ham at the time when Allardyce was manager down there. But it's an absolutely final spin of the wheel. You know, last throw of the dice, last throw of the Allardyce, if we can put it like that, <laughs> um, which is... A desperate measure and it is you know four games to go they're on 30 points um outside the bottom three on goal difference that's all it's been one point from five matches they look and smell like a club who are going down and that's why they've that's why they've kind of thrown this hail mary because they have nothing else left yeah yeah i mean you look at uh look at the form of the teams around there as well um i mean everton a point behind haven't won in in a long time um nottingham forest have chucked in a victory um in the last five so of leicester it's it is literally about what points you can get on the board now isn't it well i actually went to leicester on monday night the athletics sent me there to kind of rub a neck on their game against everton it was a really good game to watch um and made easier it's always nice to have a bit of light relief when you don't you do have skin in the game because obviously it influences the way the table looks, but you don't have any skin in the game on the night. You know, you, you you're not kind of you're not kind of invested in in either of the either of the teams. And I think I could see in both of them, Everton more than Leicester. I have to say, I think Leicester will will get out of this because they have those little bits of quality that you need and make you know fractional differences. So Vardy and Madison and Tielemans, that sort of thing. Everton look very, very limited, um, and I, you know, I, I could see in them quite a lot of the deficiencies that I'm seeing in Leeds, and it is really difficult in some respects to put a cigarette paper between a lot of the clubs down there, and that's why it is so tight because they all have big deficiencies and they've all been inadequately prepared for this season. And that's certainly true of of Leeds. I mean, what was really interesting was that 
I went and I spoke to Leicester fans outside the ground and I spoke to um, Everton fans outside the away end and obviously speak to Leeds fans a lot. And you know what it's like in football? Everybody gets quite partisan. Um, people see grievances um, in places where perhaps there aren't. And you, you go from week to week of complaints about VAR and refereeing and things that didn't quite go right. But the unanimous view that you have amongst everybody is that while the supporters don't deserve to go down, the clubs absolutely do. And in no way are they disputing that. You know, Everton, the, the supporters I spoke to, the Everton fans were saying, it's the club's fault. You know, this is the club's fault that we're in this position. Likewise, it leads. There is nobody around here who's trying to blame VAR or, or anything else. You know, the, the fire is being aimed at the board at, at Ellen Road. It, it is. And Leicester, maybe to a slightly less extent, they have the, I guess, the, they have the moments to cling to, don't they? They've had the Premier League title. They've had the FA Cup. You could be a bit more philosophical about that, but certainly at Forest as well. It seems to me that they can't quite decide at Forest whether they like Steve Cooper or not. They've signed you know, a ridiculous number of players, really. It, it hasn't worked at all. I don't think you can point fingers elsewhere if you if you go down this season. Um, a lot of clubs have had it coming. Yeah. Um, I mean, you look at uh, the fixture list for Leeds as well. Um, I mean, beginning with City away, there's Newcastle in there. I mean, Spurs, you don't know what Spurs are going to turn up. So that, that there's there's the option there that, that maybe there's something out of that on the last day. Um, how, how are Leeds fans feeling about this running? Um, anxious, without a doubt, anxious. Um, the, the, the general feeling, the general view after Bournemouth on Sunday was that Leeds were going down. You know, it was very hard to make an argument against that. And part of that does relate to how difficult the fixture list is. Um, you see, it's, it's interesting with Allardyce because the first thing Allardyce will do will be to try and tighten Leeds up defensively. Um, is very little time to do it and very little time when it comes to coaching sessions, very few games. He said that himself at his press conference yesterday. He's done this before at clubs and it's worked before at clubs, but he's never, ever come in on this sort of timescale. You know, like literally four games to go, three weeks, do, do what you can. Um, but I think that is... That is going to be necessary and that is probably going to be the crucial aspect for how this goes because Leeds are conceding a ludicrous number of goals this season. It was 23 in April, which is Premier League record and, you, and you've got to go back for a cam, you know calendar month. You've got to go back to 86 for the last time a, a team in the top division conceded more. I think it was Newcastle back then. Um, so even if Tottenham are poor, even if Tottenham have kind of lost their marbles a bit this season, they still have Kane and they still have Son. They still have players who are dangerous. And the reality is that players who are dangerous are getting a lot of joy from this Leeds side. So in no way can could you really cling to the idea that, well, Spurs might not turn up or West Ham are, are not great. You, you rather fear that Leeds are having to score at least two, but probably three goals in most games to, to be taking a win um, from any of them. So if Allardyce can, can tighten them up, then they have more of a chance. But... There is that feeling that while there are four games to go, in reality, there are probably three because I, I cannot make any argument at all for Leeds getting a result at the Etihad um, on Saturday. It just looks like damage limitation. I think it would have been damage limitation under Gracia. I think it is under Allardyce. I suspect if you're being objective about this, you would say that Allardyce has the potential to limit the damage more than Gracia did. Yeah, um, just listening to Allardyce's press conference yesterday as well, he was talking about um, how uh, one of Leeds' big problems this season has been out of possession. In possession, they've not been they've not been too bad. Um, do you agree with that assessment? Yeah, I do. I do. Um, it was interesting. I, I did a turn for BT Sport before Leeds lost at Fulham a couple of weeks back, and 
Rio Ferdinand was one of the, the pundits, um, big um, Manchester City hero, obviously. And he um, he was saying that he's highlighting a few um, uh, images of goals that they conceded against Liverpool in particular. And he was making the point that in transition, Leeds go from losing the ball to conceding in a matter of seconds. They're no good or have been no good at slowing the play down, at backing teams up, at kind of recovering when they're suddenly under pressure. And you've seen that time and time and time again. And they also have this terrible habit of being in games, sometimes starting pretty well, looking like they're on top. But one concession leads to two, leads to two, three, leads to four in no time at all. You know, before you before you know it, the game's gone or, or is almost gone. And they've been incredibly flaky. And I mean, a lot of reasons for that. The, the recruitment hasn't worked at all. I still think the appointment of Marsh was the wrong decision. I think they waited too long to change that. Um, I think they could have changed that prior to Manchester City going to Ellen Road in December. There was an argument to do it before the World Cup break. And while there, there is actually quite a decent amount of resale value in the squad, and while there are some good players there, they haven't built a strong team. And that's the thing, isn't it? It's, it's fine having players, but you need a team and you need a unit. You need a, a, a system that works. And they just don't have it. And it was strange with, with Allardyce yesterday sitting listening to the presser. Some of it was quite funny. Some of it to be perfectly honest, was quite weird, I thought. Um, and it was very difficult to come out of that and take a view one way or the other whether or not this is going to work. I really don't know. Yeah, he, um, he, it's it's such a short time scale for him as well. And like you said, it's uh, it, it's 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 one of those things where you just don't know if he'll if he'll be able to get the points on the board for uh, for the remainder of the season. Yeah, and also, I mean, remember that you know he's had one job in five years, which was six months at, at West Brom, and he made a very fair point about that because West Brom were relegated on on his watch. But he said it was right in the middle of COVID, and because of that, he wasn't able to do what he would normally have. You know, obviously everybody was restricted when it came to face to face contact and the amount of time you were able to spend together, and and the the way in which you were able to spend that time together. And he said it just wasn't conducive for building the sort of atmosphere or culture that that he would have wanted. And I think that's a fair point, you know, and. I think with hindsight, he regrets taking that. And I understand where he's coming from. But take that out of the equation. And, you know, he, he hasn't managed anywhere since the summer of 2018. And, and even the England job now goes back to 2016, which is not far off a decade. So he's 68 now. He's been away from the game for a long time. I think people have in their mind's eye this caricature or this image of Big Sam and, and what he is and, and what he does. But these four games will be a, a real demonstration of whether that's still there and, and whether he's still got it. And I think, to be fair to him as well, you'd have to say that if it doesn't go well in these four games, was was it really fair to expect much from him? Yeah. Um, well, Phil, before we let you go, uh, I've got to put you through the uh, ordeal of uh, trying to predict a score for this game. Um, how do you see it going? Um, I'd, and, you know, I'm not going to be daft about this one. I'd have it down as a 3-0 City win uh, if if not worse. I think you could tell him what Allardyce was saying yesterday. He, he did say, you know, it is possible that Etihad, Brentford had done it, you know, Brentford Brentford won there, but um, City are just moving like a train at the moment and they have they have all the all the aspects, all the attributes that will really hurt Leeds. So, yeah, I think it will be a comfortable home win. You see stats pop up all the time about clubs and players and you want to know that exact thing about City. There's an answer. Statcity.co.uk Want to find out all of the players who played alongside club legends like David Silva, Sergio Aguero or Vincent Company? 
Or maybe you'd like to know which team found it hardest to score past Joe Hart. You can find out City's record in every competition, at every stadium and under every manager. Just go to statscity.co.uk and browse away. That's statscity.co.uk. If you enjoy the show, please give it a rating and a review wherever you get your podcasts. That was Phil Hay talking about Leeds. Um, Chris, we're in the situation now. Uh, 12 points needed to make absolutely sure of the title. 11 if you uh, if you accept that City will win it on goal difference. Uh, Leeds in absolute dire straits. So, um, I mean, naturally, we're all nervous about this one then, are we? <laughs> It's it's nervous because I mean I wouldn't normally fear um, manage, new manager bounce back, but it's big Sam in it. Yeah, don't like, I mean uh, like I say don't don't forget. There's nobody ahead of me in football terms. <laughs> not Pep, not Klopp, not Arteta. There I am taking the piss out of that. But when he's won at weekend, well, I mean, what was that? What was that? Retort in response to it's so threatening, wasn't it? <laughs> Proper like there's no, there's nobody ahead of me. He's like a sort of Lancashire mafia boss, <laughs> like a rival club owner in Phoenix Knights. He's uh, yeah, he's got some gravitas, hasn't he? Uh, but are we nervous? I mean, Leeds have been so bad, but that's almost a warning in itself. It's like they can't be that bad all the time. But uh, I mean, you've got to be confident against Leeds, aren't you? Really? Yeah. Do, you, do you see? Do you envisage any any nightmare scenario there? I mean, even against West Ham and Fulham, where where it it was a bit sticky and a bit tricky. Like, like I was saying before, I, I just felt it was inevitable that, that we'd that we'd break them down. I think we've got too much firepower for Leeds, um, but. You know, I'm setting us up here. I'm, I'm jinxing the hell out of it. <laughs> yeah, crack <laughs> I can on. feel it happening. Yeah. Uh, the thing is, Richard, um, Phil was talking there about Leeds's difficulty with dealing when other teams transition, and we've talked to in the past about how City are not necessarily the team for the transitions um, recently. However, in the last few weeks, they've they've suddenly become a really good counter attack inside. And I don't know when when Phil was speaking, my heart just kind of went. Oh, I hope they can get Erling Haaland in a few times. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Just like that sort of like, like it was like a, almost like a schoolgirl sort of moment with it all. <laughs> but so it's difficult, isn't it? Because a lot of it, like to counter attack, you have to have something to counter. And is a Sam Allardyce Leeds team gonna come in? give City something to counter, like surely they're going to... Um, they're not leaving that penalty area, are they? No, and, and and like fair enough. Like Allardyce is, for for all the criticisms of him, traditionally he is very good at working at the lower end of the table and that's why, he, that's why he gets the jobs there. And as much as we might think it's antiquated, that he's a bit of a dinosaur and all that stuff, like his record actually, barring West Brom, his Premier League record shows that granted with more time to work than he's got at Leeds he gets he gets results in in dire situations and clearly Leeds's problem is they ship a lot of goals I mean it's absurd how many they've conceded in March um they they conceded as many sorry in April I think they conceded as many in April as like Newcastle have conceded all season nearly like it's really really dire so that's clearly the first thing to work on and that's what he's good at working on so 
it's going to be, I'm sure it's going to be difficult to find space. I'm sure it's going to be like, even with City's usual domination of possession, it's probably that going to be taken to, um, to an enormous extreme. And it could, if he, if he sets up that kind of, um, if they close off space like really, really effectively, I think it could be a difficult afternoon. I obviously believe that um, City have enough quality to get through that and break it down. But if there's no space to work in, it doesn't matter who you are and who you're against. If there's no space to work in, that is um, that's still a difficult thing to work against, and that's what I'd imagine Allardyce will try and employ as a, a sort of immediate tactic. Um, and you just never know, do you? Sean Dyche took over and still manages an absolutely dire Everton team who were able to beat an absolutely flying Arsenal team in his first game. Obviously, that was at Goodison, so was they had the home advantage and could whip up the fans. Blah blah blah. Um, yeah, my, my guess is I think City will win. Um, everything tells you that they should. But I do, I'd be lying if I didn't say I had this sort of niggling doubt that Allardyce might do a pretty good job of setting up a very frustrating afternoon. Yeah, um, I guess as well, Chris, there's a bit of a balancing act here as well because it's Real Madrid away on Tuesday. Um, there is a score to settle there and, and <laughs> how. Um, but obviously you've got the issue of too much rotation. It makes games like Leeds tricky, you know, not enough rotation. It could leave players, you know, exhausted for the, the trip to Madrid. It's a real fine balancing act, isn't it? It is. And even if you start your strongest or what you think is your strongest team and establish, you know, a couple of goal advantage, even bringing people, you know, disrupting the rhythm, bringing people in off the bench, it is a tricky one. Um, that Leicester game, I mean, like they took they took a lot of players yeah. off early, and it became it became it wasn't dicey, but it, it wasn't dicey dicey, but it was dicey. If that makes sense, it was. It does. It, I mean, Pep uh, alluded as such, and he said like that was too many. I'm not doing that again. Um, so it's it'll be interesting to see how he does it. By the way, um, I won't be at the game because. Um, I put my ticket on the exchange because we've got a cup final coming up and I simply can't, uh, you know, looking at like traveling to get down there, price of the cup final ticket, et cetera, et cetera. I've had to take a, a hit on that. So just bolting that onto the back of what we were saying earlier about ticket prices mm. for next season, you know, this season is like I say, I'm already at that point where I'm having to make, compromises and sacrifices for in terms of what I can afford and with City. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I don't know. If we start if we start strong it'll be fine. I know that's not a um, particularly detailed tactical breakdown, but I mean come on, we've got to be okay. Did you hear what Guardiola said about uh Allardyce's comments by the way? No, what did he say? He said and he could have you know I was going to say pulled his pants down with the image of Sam Aldice. I, I just don't want to uh, cultivate yeah. that. I mean, we've already had right. enough trouser talk for this one, haven't we? So. We, have, we have had the full, uh, the full quotient. But he said he's right. And uh, he said, look at what happened with Neil Warnock at Huddersfield. Um, there's a tendency for these incredible managers. They've done this Premier League or this competition and they've left this competition in a better position. It looks like the young managers with the tactics, but they, the old guys, are really good and help us to be what we are. Roy Hodgson at Palace, look at what they've done. They're really good, incredible experience, and they know the game perfectly. And he also talks of Allardyce's charisma, where he says he has the charisma and he will put out the pressure on the players and he knows exactly what to do in this situation in a relegation battle. So, you know, Pep's not underestimating it. And uh, 
he was quite respectful, I felt, uh, um, because, you know, he probably looks at Aldous and thinks he could batter me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, just on uh, Madrid as well, Richard. Um, I said before, there's some some wrongs to right. Um, how much is that going to be? How, how much is that going to be in the fans' mind, and how much of it should be in the players' minds? Well, fans, that I mean, that is how is it not going to be? Like, if it's tight going into the final minutes, how is that not going to be in your head? Um, it was, I think, that defeat last season. Those those last few minutes at the Bernabeu were. Um, the kind of thing that you just don't expect to see, do you? It's, it, it was phenomenal for a reason. What that happened. happens it to other teams. Absolute... It doesn't happen to City. I know what you mean. Exactly. Yeah. And But even to other teams, it doesn't really happen often, does it? There's a reason that things like that are so euphoric for the team that gets it, so crushing for the team that, that don't. And it was, um, I mean, it was pretty, pretty heartbreaking, really, from a, a position of like, one and three quarter feet in the final to to suddenly nothing. Um, and so, of course, it's going to be in the fans' heads. I think it's almost impossible that it won't be in, in the players' heads to some degree, but I don't think this should be treated as some kind of revenge mission. I don't necessarily think it should be an extra motivation, um, but I think... Um, because otherwise... like. I wouldn't want the players sort of believing in like the magic of Madrid or, you know, the idea that they just have some kind of supernatural hold over the Champions League, which is what it was painted as last season. Like they don't, they're very confident in the competition and that feeds, I guess, certain things and it feeds the supporters and how they react to to situations. But on the pitch, actually, if, you know, City have, City do have the quality to, to beat Madrid. And as Pep always says, when it comes to knockout games, it's it's incredibly fine margins between two very very good elite teams, um, but but City have they have the quality to do it, and that should be the the primary focus. The game will be won on on tactics and who delivers in the moment. It won't be won on um, because there's some kind of revenge mission. I don't think. Yeah, given it's the first leg away, Chris, um, what's the absolute bare minimum? Do you think to give City a chance in the second leg? Because there's there's an element of even a narrow defeat in this game, not the end of the world at all. Get them back at our place and anything can happen. Yeah. Um, away goals don't count these days, do they? Oh, no, they think... you, if you score away from home, you still get the goal. They, they definitely still let <laughs> you have it. Oh, God, that's a joke I've made myself and I can't believe I've fallen into the trap. How annoying. But yes, they do. They do count. <laughs> but yeah, you know what I mean? Obviously, absolute... Um, <laughs> Anyway, uh, <laughs> I think if we any more than one goal, if we if we're one down coming back, uh, very doable. If we're two, da- you know, two behind, then let's go another, and it's pretty much written off. So I still think two's doable, you know. Oh come on! Oh, I don't. I don't think City. Will, even... I don't think City will, will, will lose by two in the Bernabeu. But then again, I'm ready to I don't. My words I don't. I think one, we'll but... get. I think we'll probably. Um, you know, should should. Should beat them, but I'll, I'll take a draw right now. Uh, but there is the, the the psychological thing; it is definitely a factor. I mean, they've they've not just done it last season to us; they did it before, didn't they? When we were winning with not long to go, and um, was the it Ronaldo game. did that? Yeah, the Jacko game. Yeah, Ronaldo chipped Joe Hart at his near post, like while he was sat on his ass. Um, very very annoying. So, yeah, I I'm full of trepidation about it. Um, like Richard was saying, 
got to be in the players' heads to an extent. But these are top, top professionals. They're the best players in the world. They're going to, if anyone's in a position to go and, you know, banish that hoodoo, then it's these guys. And uh, we should have faith in that. A final point to try and calm everybody down ahead of this game, Richard. Um, Just linking a couple of points that we talked about on the show today as well. Um, City are good at the moment in transitions and you would expect Real Madrid are not going to sit deep. You would expect there to be spaces and you look at what City did against Bayern Munich when there were spaces. Um, On top of all of that, we've talked about Haaland. We've talked about him when... City get the ball to him on transitions and at the same time you specifically have talked about how he's dealing with pressure and stardom and and these sorts of games all of that could quite easily make a perfect storm of Haaland ready to take this competition by storm in the semi-final stage for City yeah I mean sometimes there's that sort of almost unexplainable like feeling that you just get that something's like something's right or that the momentum's just um, in in one team's favour, and I think with everything around Haaland at the moment, I mean again, talk about like crest of a wave just off the back of um, breaking various Premier League records, and um, I guess being the the talk of the game at the moment, and and City do feel like they're finding a way to to get through sort of every um, every obstacle, then. It really does feel like this could be City's time. Of course, we might sit here at the end of May and say, bloody hell, Madrid have, have done us again. But can't um, believe they lost the FA Cup to United and, and look at how <laughs> Arsenal came back in the league. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, it, it does kind of feel like Haaland's time, doesn't it? And, and if City are to do something very, very special this season, then Haaland's going to be um, like even more like stratospheric mega mega star and you know probably win the Ballon d'Or and all, all that stuff that goes with individual success in um or being the best individual in a team sport blah 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 like it just feels like his moment and it, it sort of feels like City's moment in a way that even when they got to the final like it, it, in a way that it didn't really feel like City's year that year there just feels like a really big um big excitement about it now and that's building and building um and and yeah I think I've let that get away from me as an answer once again, haven't I? Um, yeah, Harland probably Harland probably is ready to sort of walk into the Bernabeu and, and make it his place, and yeah. and then come to the Etihad and have sort of like you know crowning moments and and all that. Oh, I'm excited now. Let's uh, let's get to it. Uh, no wins on the charity bet for a while. So if you want a job doing well, do it yourself. That's what I say. So I did. My correct 2-1 prediction against Fulham has taken the total we've raised for the Man City fans food bank support group up to £860 for the season. Uh, William Hill is giving each of us a £10 correct score single on City's games. Two to predict this week. Uh, we heard from Phil that he's gone for a 3-0 City win against uh, Leeds on Saturday. That's 13-2 and £65 if he's right. Richard, what are you having? Uh, I am going for City 4, Leeds 0. That is 9 to 1 and £90 if you're right. Chris? Well, I think um, I had had a couple of bevies when I gave you the the prediction. (laughs) I think if you ask me now, I might might alter. But my uh, absolutely, you know, cast iron, stonewall uh, prediction... I think it's it's going to be fairly tough. We're not going to want to overexert too much um, with Real in mind. I think we're going to win two one. 
That is uh, 10 to 1 and £100 if you're right. That takes us to Real Madrid, and uh, I am going to go for a tight one all draw in the Bernabeu, which is 11 to 2 and £55 if I am right. Richard, what are you having? Uh, a optimistic City to win 2 1. That is 17 to 2 and £85 if you're right. Now, there might be a reason why Chris just mentioned that he had a few bevies when he sent the predictions over because you've gone for. Well, the initial, I mean, you you two took the most sensible scores, and I, you know, was left with the option of trying to uh, jazz things up a bit. So, in a in a in a boost fueled uh, moment of madness, I predicted four uh, two to City. It could be, you never know. I mean, could that's be. that's going to get loads of money for charity, right? Stranger things have happened. Not entirely sure what off the top of my head just yet but we'll come no, to it if anybody can think things. of it yes there may be some stranger things that have happened uh, but you're right it will win a, a shed load of money if you're right because it's 60 to 1 and uh, 600 pounds if you are spot on there uh, now remember you've got to be 18 or over to gamble prices can change and take a look at begambleaware.org for information about gambling responsibly and that's the end of today's blue moon podcast thank you very much for listening and thank you to my guests for this one chris higginbottom Thanks very much. And Richard Burns. Uh, Thank you very much. I'll be back next week, so I'll see you then. That was the Blue Moon Podcast. Please give the show a rating and a review where you can. And don't forget, you can listen without the ads by signing up to our Patreon. You'll also get an extra episode each Monday. Here's a clip of this week's. I remember my mate going, see that guy over there? He doesn't half look like Nick Leeson. And I'm going, <laughs> Nick Leeson's in prison? What are you talking about? Nick Leeson's in prison. No, I'm sure he's out. Anyway, we sit, take our seats. You're not going to believe who sat down next to us. I went, it, 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 it's, it's Nick Leeson. And Nick Leeson <laughs> was sat next to us. So I'm thinking, is he a good omen or a bad omen? So during the first half, we're getting absolutely battered. Then you score, then you ba- you batter us someone thinking he's definitely a bad omen. Anyway, it wasn't it wasn't to be for Blackburn, and we just turned a tide. And we had a hugely strong group of players, real togetherness that, that Joe Royal had fostered. It wasn't always beyond the realms of possibility that we were going to come back from one 0 down, but it should have easily been five 0 already. But the mental strength that that team had, plus a little bit of quality. And Sean Gota, who wherever the ball touched him, it went in the net. Just meant that it was just an incredible day. You had the fans on the hill who couldn't get in. It was a sunny day. Then we were all on the pitch. It was just amazing. It was just absolutely one of the very, very best days. You can listen to more of that at patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. And join us again next time for another episode. (laughs) 